This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura Suter. This week, we've got a bevy of company news from Facebook being fined to BT cutting jobs for AI and everyone's pandemic favourite, Zoom, which is actually holding up pretty well. We've also got a fund manager interview with Julian Cook from T. Rowe Price that looks stateside at what's been happening in markets there so far this year. And joining me to help dive into all of that is Danny Hewson. Hi, Laura. Also this week, we'll be chatting about the latest inflation figures and why the government might not be so happy about them. Plus, we've got some good news for nationwide customers who are getting some extra money in their bank accounts. And I'll be revealing some slightly worrying new findings from the regulator about younger investors. But first, let's dive into those inflation figures that came out this morning. So, Danny, both you and I have been covering them. Headline figures are that inflation has fallen. It's below double digits for the first time since last August, which is generally good news. But it's hit 8.7%, which is a bit higher than what many economists have been expecting. They've been expecting much closer to 8%. And those food prices are still really high. So food inflation is still above 19%. So in real terms, what that means is a food shop that would have cost you £100 a year ago is now costing you almost £120 today. Um, And so really that headline inflation figure fell as a result of energy prices dropping, not prices at the checkout dropping, Danny. No, absolutely. And it was really interesting to watch market reaction. And there are lots of things at play here. However, when markets opened this morning, they tanked. It is fair to say they were in the red. And in fact, at one point, the FTSE 100 literally had a couple of stocks in the green, including SSE, which I'll get to later on. I think the biggest issue here is when you look at the core inflation numbers, because actually they had crept up. And that is the bit that the Bank of England particularly will be looking at when it comes to considering whether or not it's done the job of bringing inflation back down, because that strips out the volatility of things like food and energy. Yeah, it was really interesting watching market reaction this morning because following those numbers, um, when markets opened at eight o'clock, it was a sea of red. I think investors really concerned particularly about core inflation, which is looking really sticky. In fact, it had gone up. And that's the bit that the Bank of England looks at, particularly when it comes to deciding if they are doing the job right, if they need to do more, because it strips out those volatile things like energy and food costs. Um, We saw following the inflation figures, the immediate expectation from markets that there will be potentially three, maybe even four additional rate hikes, taking interest rates to 5.25, 5.5%. Whereas before that, I think there'd really been the expectation that they would be another rate hike, and then they would top out and perhaps even start to fall away. Now, I think it's important to say that there will be another inflation print before the next MPC meeting. So 
things could change. But as I say, what was for sure is that markets were not happy. And it was fascinating because there were only two or three stocks um, on the FTSE 100 at opening, which uh, were in the green, including SSE, which I will get to a bit later. But Clearly, it's not all just about inflation. There's still a huge amount of concern about a ticking clock, which is sitting on the lawn of the White House. I mean, we're now just a week away from the US potentially defaulting on its debt. And despite the fact no one really believes politicians will let it come down to that, no matter what political game is being played, investors are nervous. They don't want to be caught out here. It is weighing on stocks and equities. While we are talking about global factors as well, because People don't want to be caught out. There's a huge amount of nervousness and threats that OPEC might further cut oil production in a bid to curb short selling has also rattled some cages. So let's move on to wider markets news now. There's been a lot of talk recently about AI taking over all of our jobs, but it seems like that might actually be happening already. So BT is making that move to cut people in place of using AI more. Tell us more. Yeah, we had results um, from Britain's biggest broadband and mobile provider. uh, And yeah, they've announced plans to axe 55,000 jobs by the end of the decade. The idea that they become a leaner business, cut costs and develop the use of AI to automate and digitize a lot of its operations and potentially using AI to take over around 10,000 thousand jobs. Now, we need to put this in some context in terms of how BT is doing, because it reported a 12% drop in profits of £1.7 billion to the year to April. Now, you've got cost of living pressures affecting premium sports subscription market. That contributed to the company recording annual losses of £123 million for its pay TV sport venture with Warner Brothers Discovery. It does need to cut costs to be more streamlined. We know that telecoms is an industry where you have to keep spending and reinventing in order to remain relevant. We've gone from 3G to 4G to 5G, but it is uncomfortable when we start to talk about AI because it is a reminder that we can be replaced, not just by the next graduate, but potentially by AI. And we know this is something global leaders are really concerned about, making sure that they have the right strategy in place, making sure that regulations are fit for purpose, because at the moment they are not. So at the G7 um, earlier this week, Rishi Sunak said, we need guardrails. And uh, he's also expected to host an AI summit at Downing Street this week because of concerns about the risk to things like elections being manipulated. Uh, And clearly, a lot of people nervous about jobs. Just back to BT for one minute, and um, shares tanked on the news. But the next day, they jumped again because we heard that French billionaire Patrick Drahi's Altice had bought 650 million more shares. Now, again, it said it wasn't looking to take over the company but clearly it's something that's raising eyebrows. And Facebook has also been in the news this week for a data breach, which is not going to help with trust with their users, which is obviously so important to the business. What happened, Danny? 
Massively important because this is all about data protection. A record £1 billion fine from EU regulators. It's the largest fine ever under GDPR rules. And it's all about where and how data is stored. So the EU currently has higher privacy standards than the United States. There's concern in the EU that US intelligence services could access EU citizens' data. They wanted a cast iron guarantee from Meta that they wouldn't allow access, but that's not something that Meta can give. So it's now got a ticking clock to make sure that all EU data is processed and stored in Europe. Now, this doesn't affect Facebook UK. We heard from Nick Clegg, you'll remember him. He now obviously is the spokesperson for Meta saying that they're going to appeal the decision. It's flawed. It sets a dangerous precedent. And actually, there's a whole lot of work going on on a new deal about data transfers transatlantically, which could render the decision moot. But this came just a day before more bad news for Meta. It announced it had found a buyer for Giphy, but at a seriously lower price tag than it paid for it. Do you remember GIFs, Laura? We don't talk about them a great deal so much. Love a GIF. I'm still old school and enjoy a good GIF. But I, yeah, Giphy, I don't really, is that relevant anymore? Well, Meta thought it was going to be massively relevant. It paid a chunk of cash for it, but the UK competition watchdog, uh, uh, you know, says no. It said that Meta had to sell Giphy because it was concerned it would limit competition. So it issued the order last year and Meta finally sold it but at a seriously lower price tag than it paid for it, $260 million less, which has got a sting. And just today, it announced the third round of job cuts, hitting Irish operations, cutting almost 500 jobs there, about 18% of the role in its European headquarters there, part of the cost-cutting announced earlier this year. And Zoom reported this week talking about things that might not be relevant anymore. I'd assume it's not doing as well now that lots of people are back in the office or at least part time and um, it's not being used as much. But is that actually the case or not? Not doing as well. No, absolutely. That That is the case because we have returned to the office somewhat. However, we are still working from home. And certainly I was on the, the motorway to Manchester on Friday thinking, is it a Friday? <laughs> I think a lot of people now choose to work a three-day week. And that is where things like Zoom still are massively relevant. So it did post better than expected results for its first fiscal quarter. But when we're talking about growth, sales were up just 3%, and that is the lowest growth on record. So resilient, but not stonking. While we're talking tech, I just have to mention increased tensions between the US and China, which have flared up again this week after China announced it was banning US chip maker Micron from key infrastructure project. It is China's first major move against a US chip maker. It was quite interesting that a day later, Apple announced it had done a deal with US chipmaker Broadcom as it seeks to protect its supply chain from geopolitical disruption. There is a big concern about tit for tat here, about what might happen next and how we might end up with more friction to our supply chain. And we all remember what that does. Exactly. And you mentioned SSE at the top there as being kind of one of the big winners in the post-inflation announcement. So what happened there? And are there any other market movers this week? 
Yeah, SSE, um, sales um, <laughs> profits, I mean, just absolutely astonishing profits up 89%, which as you can imagine, when we're still talking about a cost of living crisis, will rattle some cages. They did announce that they'd put a not insignificant sum into windfall taxes, so it is paying additional tax. The one thing that it did do is it, it seems to know the drill at the moment, right, that it's going to come under fire because UK households are struggling by the cost of energy and it is making huge profits from energy. But it is also investing huge amounts into green energy projects, into making sure that the UK's energy provision is protected. So it's not an insignificant sum at all. In fact, um, it spent more on investments than it actually made in profits. So I think this is something which it is hoping will get the newspapers off their backs when we come to the front pages tomorrow. But you know, shareholders are also going to want to see evidence that they're being rewarded for funding the company too. And when we're talking about shareholders getting rewarded, uh, we also had news from M&S today that it is reinstating its dividend. And for years, we've been saying food's going great, shame about the clothing, but they seem to have found the magic and sparkle there too, because um, Although profits were hit by costs, down 7.8% year on year, sales looked positively rosy. Sales were up 9.9%, the best part of £12 billion, with sales in clothing and home up 11.5%, and food sales ticking up 8.7% higher to top £7 billion for the first time. Now, Lots of investors, Laura, have fallen foul of taking too much risk or failing to ignore the hype around certain investments. But some new research shows young investors are more likely to make those mistakes. Yeah, the regulator, the FCA, had some interesting research out this week. So they specifically did some research looking at young investors and how they go about investing. And there's some really worrying stats in there. So the first one is that too many people are relying on social media to do their research or to do their recommends. And whilst social media might spark some ideas or give some inspiration, it definitely shouldn't be the only place you're doing research. Obviously, a lot of people on social media are either hyping up their returns that they're getting from investments or they're outright scams. And so you need to be really wary when you're looking there. One of the other slightly worrying figures is that only 2% of young investors plan to have that money invested for five years or longer. Now, we often talk about the five-year rule, which is if you want to invest, you need to be thinking about that money being locked away for five years as a minimum. Otherwise, you might be better sticking to cash. Obviously, that exact rule varies depending on people's circumstances. But as a rule of thumb, it's then quite worrying that only two in 100 young investors are actually planning on that timescale. So I think it was some interesting figures in there and really highlights some of that boom of younger investors starting investing, which happened particularly in the pandemic, and maybe some of the issues with that in terms of people not doing enough research, relying too much on social media, and maybe not getting to grips with the basics. The good thing is, though, that there's lots of 
resources and help out there for first-time investors who want to have a go and want to learn more. Or even if you just Google first-time investor guide, you'll have lots of options of things to teach you the basics and how to go about opening accounts and picking stocks. And of course, AJ Bell has one of those. If you're a first-time investor or you know someone who's just starting out, I want to recommend the other podcast Laura and I work on called Money Matters. It's aimed at helping those people who are taking their first steps in investing or just want to engage with their money more. We cover all manner of financial topics from how to beat lifestyle creep to the financial perils of cohabiting. You can find it where you found this podcast. Just search AJ Bell Money Matters or sign up to the newsletter by Googling AJ Bell Money Matters. I've got some news coming up about a windfall for nationwide customers and how everyone could benefit. But next up is our fund manager interview. US stocks have bounced back this year with notable gains among tech shares. Dan Coatesworth caught up with Julian Cook, a portfolio specialist at asset manager T. Rowe Price, to find out what's been driving US markets and to get his thoughts on such stocks as Tesla, Amazon and more. Let's hear what they had to say. So, Julian, what has been driving U.S. markets this year? Because there has been some sort of suggestion it's all the stocks that are linked to artificial intelligence. And without that sort of hot theme, actually, the market wouldn't have been up. Do you think that's true? Well, there's certainly been a return to growth. Um, I'm not sure we can necessarily blame it all on artificial intelligence, though though, those stocks like NVIDIA, you know, did extremely well um, on a year-to-date basis. Um, even when you think about Nvidia you know, on a on a twelve month basis, that's that stock is sort of barely up, right? It's not gone past the highs of um, you know, November twenty twenty one. So so yes, it's been I guess a nice narrative. Um, I think we've all had to go at Chat GPT and found it kind of interesting and in the kind of responses we can get, all being sort of pleasantly surprised. Um, I think there's certainly the first order impacts which where where the market has benefited, be it Nvidia, be it sort of AMD. Um, but it, I guess there are obviously there are secondary benefits, sorry, secondary effects, which are obviously still still yet to show themselves to how how sort of AI is going to be used um, in sort of other industries, not just be not just by the companies that sort of provide the sort of the the picks and the shovels, so to speak, um, for this this kind of in, this kind of uh, technology. I mean, what so Julian, what what do you think about the idea that um, you know the US might go into recession um, potentially this year? Uh, and you know, kind of what if that does happen? What might that mean for for U.S. equities? Yeah, I think our our base um, our base assessment is that we will go into recession. Now, the the timing of that, I don't think we're going to be any better than anybody else. Whether it's sort of you know end of this year, start of next year, we just don't think it's possible for the Fed to you know get to sort of target inflation. And that I guess that new target is like three, three and a half, not the two that they would have previously talked about without putting the economy into recession. Now, what that means for equities on an absolute basis, I think it, it reflects our view that we're a little bit cautious at this point in time. Obviously, the market's done well on a year-to-date basis, probably a little bit sort of ahead of itself. Um, on a on a relative basis, in terms of our exposures you know, relative to the market, actually, we feel really good about, about where we're positioned and, and I guess the exposures we have ex- fully expecting the, then you're going to get a recession. But I think overall levels of overall overall levels of market, I think we can we we just need to be a little bit more sort of you know I guess a little bit more sort of cautious about it from this point forward. So so where where are you sort of putting money at the moment? Then is it into sort of areas like um, healthcare, which perhaps might be a bit more defensive if we if we get recession? Yeah. So we've we've been holding a I guess when we think about investing in in the US in growth companies, 
about 85% of what we invest in is kind of high, higher growth, very disruptive companies. The kind of defensive companies which you're kind of alluding to there, about 15% of the portfolio can certainly include things like healthcare. So uh, health insurance would be something we'd look at. Um, a name that we've added in, in, the, in the first quarter was actually a T-Mobile as an example, where we think we can get really good defensive growth qualities out of a company like T-Mobile, which has uh, you know, leading 5G um, you know, capabilities, which are now being used. I guess we all had these 5G phones, but didn't quite know what we we're going to use them for. Now their application is kind of showing up that's going to allow us to use this kind of additional bandwidth. And with T-Mobile itself trying to you know, bring together its Sprint acquisition, lots of places where this company can uh, improve, improve efficiencies. And so we think there's actually a really nice growth dynamic to that company particularly if you're thinking about a, a pretty sort of you know, poor economic environment. So really, really happy to find those kind of defensive growth companies that are not dependent on you know, stellar economic growth to you know, still provide, we think, a very good return for investors. I think if investors think about growth companies, they typically they might, might sort of be associated that with a name like Tesla, um, the, the sort of retail investor favorite. Um, I guess... People either, you know, they view it like a Marmite stock, they either love it or hate it. What, what's your sort of view on, on a name like that? Is, is that in your sort of portfolio? So maybe interestingly, we have we have zero uh, in Tesla today. Um, I think the investment rationale, we could we kind of ask our kids, right, about the investment rationale for Tesla, and they, they probably have a good crack at it. Um, yeah, our view is, look, it's not so much of a, um, you know, can they build it? I think they've demonstrated a really good ability to increase production our concern at the start of this year was if you if you run the the sort of the spreadsheet forward of like 4 million units after they've grown production by 50% a year for the next two or three years, you know, how many people out there are going to be able to buy a $65,000 vehicle? Are there 4 million people out there that can do that? And that's kind of where we run it, ran into a little bit of a sort of like a head scratch game. Well, we actually we don't think the demand is out there for that number of vehicles at that at that price point. And I'd say subsequently, what you've seen Tesla do is if they've dropped price pretty dramatically. So if you were if you were a, like a model interested in buying a Model Y, that price has come down by twenty nine percent on a year to date basis. They did that because the order book kind of evaporated, and the order book evaporated because used car prices were going down. So your your used car was not as valuable as it was, and also interest rates were going up. So the affordability. Um, was you kind of hit on on your trade in, and you also hit on your financing. So for us, it was a it was a question of like we you know, the first observation was you could, not that many people could buy sixty five thousand dollars. The second thing was um, the affordability has now got a bit harder, and now they've dropped price pretty dramatically. Now what that means for margins, of course, is margins have gone down. So so margins have gone from twenty percent to ten, um, and your know, free cash flow has been pushed out into the future. So. So for us, it looks less interesting um, as an investment at this point in time, you know, given that those are, those are the dynamics that are happening from a free cash flow generation perspective for this business at this current time. What about something like um, FinTech, a name like Fiserv? Does that, that's in your portfolio, isn't it? Yeah, so Fiserv is our, is our largest overweight, um, around over 300 basis points overweight that company. Now, now many on the call here today may not have heard of Fiserv, right? You know, if it was in the FTSE 100, it would be the, like the seventh largest company in the FTSE 100. You know, it's bigger than, than GlaxoSmithKline. Um, so it's a very it's a very large company, um, and it's a business which which we find very very attractive. 
if I rewind this for a second, you know, this was a business which which sold kind of software into um, you know, credit unions and banks. Uh, it bought a business called um, First Data and became more involved in uh, you know, merchant acquiring and, and payment processing. Um, and so if you think about when you when you go and you spend you know at the, the restaurant, you buy your dinner and you you hand over your card and it goes across uh, one of those little white boxes that's put in front of you these days. That's the kind of business that that is growing really, really nicely for Pfizer. So we think it's a really um, well positioned company. I think it's gaining share in the US in what it in what its core competence competence is. Um, and so we can sort of think of a growth algorithm to that business as being in sort of the low mid teens at a very undemanding valuation. So that you know really excites us, particularly from that defensive growth perspective that we talked about at the very start of start of this call. Those are the kinds of ideas we're looking to uh, have in the portfolio. Now, it's interesting. I saw that you, the T. Rowe Price large cap growth equity fund does have a stake in Amazon. Um, yep. now, now, clearly, the sort of the retail part of that business has been you know, very successful over the years. But I, I don't know, it's just it's what, I'm, what I'm reading, or what I'm experiencing, but it just feels like um, the platform's slightly changing. It's it's just the, the, the quality of products are sort of questionable. There's been lots of accusations, sort of fake reviews. Do, do you think... Amazon is bothered about this, or you know, its name of the game is simply to offer the cheapest product possible, um, and you know, it's up to the customer whether they they you know, put up with whether it's bad quality or not, or if not, um, you know, they should just pay more for a more a more expensive product. Yeah, I, I think on the, on the on the question of sort of you know, quality product, I think I think Amazon are kind of maniacs about about quality of product, uh, and they, I guess they're wanting to make sure that that the customer has the right the right experience. Um, I think there are some challenges that they're currently facing in the e-commerce side. The way the way we'd characterize them would be, you know, they executed a, a 10-year logistics and fulfillment plan through COVID in two years. So they spent a staggering amount of money to make sure that they could deliver that product on time as you'd expect. And and I guess suddenly, you know, I guess compound with that a slightly slower economic environment, you've got this huge capacity. Which is, which is, I guess, which isn't being filled because it, they basically built a ten-year capacity in two years. So, so the unit economics have suffered actually as a consequence of that. Now, our biggest question to Amazon: We met with the company two weeks ago, and we're one of the few asset managers that basically gets to spend a day with Amazon. We share it with one other asset manager. It's a very sort of rarefied time to to spend with that company. And our main question to that business is. You know, can you give us, um, I guess, a reassurance that you're going to return to a level of acceptable margin on your e-commerce business, and and kind of give us a time frame for that? So that's kind of our biggest question. Um, and obviously, they've given us an answer, and it's now up for us to kind of digest whether we think that's realistic. I'd say at the margin, we probably feel a little more encouraged that they have, um, I guess, they they've grasped um, the nettle and the, and they they're making steps to return to a. Yeah, a positive margin on their e-commerce business. It's the second largest retailer on the planet, right? So, to be earning a negative margin on that business, in our minds, is not really acceptable. At this point, we really should should be able to deliver a positive margin. So that's kind of what we're looking for in terms of is that the improvement of that business. They've got a very successful cloud business, um, very successful advertising business, um, but really what we 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 really want to see uh, improvement on their uh, profitability of their e-commerce business to get more excited. I know with the post-financial crisis, we saw this sort of era of cheap money. And I think for more than a decade, it's fair to say that sort of some, a company sort of classified as a growth stock 
did very well. You know, investors made lots of money. But I think now that we're in this sort of more normalized rate environment, do you think investors are going to actually have to work a lot harder to find things that will deliver them a decent return? I'm just wondering, have you sort of changed the style or 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 perhaps you know, your assumptions for what you might be able to make and, and the places that you'll be able to find um, those returns? Yeah, so my first observation is, you know, we don't think that the level of interest rates are going to be high enough to prevent the growth companies that we care about um, from growing their free cash flow. So that that's, I guess, the first observation. Um, I'd also say that like a lot of the growth companies that we've come to know over the last you know, period, um, most of them have been, you know, dramatically free cash flow positive. You know, they haven't had to come to the market to raise capital. They haven't had to come to market to raise debt finance. So then their balance sheets are actually in probably some of the best shapes of any balance sheets of any companies in the world. So that that's kind of the growth companies that we see in the US. Phenomenal balance sheets, uh, good free cash flow. Now, the point you raise about, I guess, about the higher cost of capital, I think that's interesting because I, you, you have seen companies readjust. Now, if you were to look at Meta as an example, Meta, which is, I guess, was in the doghouse for most of um, you know, 2022, it came out in October last year and said, actually, we've got to be a little bit more careful as to how we how we invest in capital projects. And we also need to be more mindful about our cost structure. And so in the meantime, from October to now, they've basically fired 25% of their workforce. And the market has taken that extremely positively because they're now I guess, adjusting to the new, the new environment, which is, you know what, it's going to be slightly weaker growth out there. Um, there is now a, a, a greater demand of you know, better stewardship over capital allocation in terms of you know, um, you know, vanity projects, one could call it, in terms of things that don't give you an immediate return. So that kind of uh, getting a bit more real with what the environment looks like, you've actually seen um, you know, stock prices respond you know, extremely positively to those kinds of changes. So, so I'd say you know, having it, uh, an overweight exposure into Meta as it's as it's done so well over the last you know, you know five months or so, that's us having I guess a, a confidence that the companies are actually changing their attitudes to how they're running their businesses also, right? So they so if they're doing that, they're kind of helping us or they're helping to sort of deliver what we need the, need them need to see them do um, in, in this kind of environment. Julian Cook from T Ray Price, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Finally, Laura has that news that will please Nationwide customers. Yes, so this is the news that Nationwide is handing out £100 to loyal customers um, as part of a share of its record profits. So Nationwide has said that 3.4 million customers will be eligible for this £100 handout. And it's part of its scheme, which is called Fairer Share, which is splitting its profits. And that's because it's a building society rather than a bank. So customers... Um, will share in the profits of the company. To be eligible, you have to have a current account and a savings account with Nationwide or a current account and a mortgage. But the good news is that they're saying that they want to repeat this each year. So if you did open a current account and savings account or mortgage account with them, then you would potentially be eligible for this next year. Obviously, it depends on what their profits are, but it's some good news for those nationwide customers who will benefit. Of course, the big caveat here is that you should always make sure you're getting the most out of your bank rather than staying just for these potential loyalty payments. So you need to be really shopping around for the best savings product, the best mortgage product, 
product and seeing if you can get a current account switching bonus rather than necessarily staying loyal to one bank just for a potential payout next year. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Do subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Just to say, we are bringing you a special bonus this week, an extra podcast which will drop on Sunday. The fantastic guys from Shares Magazine will be discussing two stocks in depth. One, a FTSE 100 company experiencing major problems, and the other is the owner of some of the world's most loved fast food brands. Also, listen next week when Laith and Laura will be bringing you all the latest markets and investing news. Thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes, and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.